Thanks for tuning into JSI's podcast, Voices in Public Health. My name is Kate Bagshaw, and I'm a technical officer with JSI's Immunization Center. In part one of this podcast, I sat down with Hannah Housie and Patrick Nix, JSI colleagues from Malawi, to talk about how they've applied their previous experiences introducing new vaccines to the HPV vaccine introduction, and how the HPV vaccine introduction has been different, highlighting in particular the identification of girls eligible for HPV vaccination and demand creation for the HPV vaccine. For part two of the podcast, we will hear from Hannah and Patrick about how the HPV vaccine delivery approach in Malawi has changed over time, how best practices and lessons learned from HPV vaccine introduction can be applied to other life course vaccinations, such as COVID-19 vaccination, and advice they have for other countries planning their HPV vaccine introductions. Please enjoy part two of this important discussion. This is Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. So can you talk about how the service delivery approach that has been used um, the vaccine delivery approach, essentially, that has been used in Malawi has changed over time. And as those changes took place, can you highlight any challenges that you, you faced? Malawi has been using the routine strategy of vaccinating a single cohort of nine-year-old girls only since the introduction in 2019. This has been a mixed strategy where the vaccine is being administered both in schools and in health facilities. Um, The initial plan was to start with a multi-age cohort, which would vaccinate girls of nine to 14 years through a campaign in 2019, and then continue like from 2020, continue with the routine strategy. However, due to the global shortage of HPV vaccine, the country was advised to start with a routine strategy that is only to vaccinate a single cohort. As such, the first two rounds in 2019 and 2020 were done in a campaign mode, vaccinating the nine-year-old girls. However, from 2021, the EPI program decided to routinize the HPV vaccination because the campaign mode was expensive and the country couldn't couldn't mobilize enough resources to continue with the campaign strategy. As such, in 2021, this year, that's when we shifted to a routine strategy. And in this routine strategy, we are still maintaining the mixed strategy where the vaccine is being administered through health facilities. That is every immunization clinic is able to provide the HPV vaccine. And also in the schools, where it's being done quarterly because the Ministry of Education had advised that uh, we can't do monthly in schools. That would be too much, somehow disturbing the classes. So it's better we do it every quarter. So that's how the routine strategy has started off in Malawi. We started in, um, the plan was to start from February, but most of the districts, there were kind some kind of resistance and they were not ready as such. Most of them started from March and April. So up to now, we are still seeing an increase in the number of districts that are adopting this routine strategy. Through and through the challenges that we faced, um, way that uh, without the mark strategy, which most people were expecting at the beginning, that has created some kind of confusion until now, 
where some people feel that girls up to 14 years can still access the vaccine. As such, you'd see some questioning whether they can get the vaccine and they're always being told no, and that's creating some kind of frustration because it means they will never have an opportunity of getting this vaccine. Although we have the vaccine in private facilities, but most of the girls cannot afford to get this vaccine from a private. They can't pay. They don't have adequate money to pay. They rely on the free government vaccinations. So as such, it means we've, we have a lot of girls that have been left out because of this strategy which is being adopted. And also the delayed implementation of preparatory activities as I indicated earlier on due to other competing priorities that really affected the introductory dates. Inadequate funding for training more vaccinators and the other health workers and also the teachers means that we have of teachers and health workers that are not yet knowledgeable in HPV. At least they know for the vaccinators, they're even able to vaccinate simply because they are, they are in quotes qualified vaccinators. They know how to give out the vaccines, but if you are to assess their knowledge levels, definitely that would be low and not adequate for someone who is a vaccinator or a health worker. And also we couldn't have funding for supporting, there was no funding for supporting the change in the strategy from campaign to routine which has delayed the routinization in, in some districts. As I said earlier on that we're supposed to start in February, but most of them couldn't start. In, actually none, in February, none of the districts responded to this. They only started in March and April after engaging them further through Zoom meetings, follow-up supervisory visits in their districts. That's when most of them started introducing. But if we had funding, to bring them together earlier on at the beginning that this is how, what we want to do, we are changing the strategy and this is how we should implement in the routine strategy. At least most of the district would have started immediately after that, like in February. But without that, then it's, the organization started slowly and slowly because of this lack of funding. And also misconceptions by some individuals like the parents, which affected the demand. When we started uh, mobilizing the communities, we noted that at least there was high demand. We were not quite surprised because of the burden of cervical cancer that we have in the country. So there was a lot, already a lot of talk about cervical cancer. So when we brought in the issues of the vaccine, most people accepted that and really rushed to get accepted that their girls can go for the vaccine, but still more there were some parents who resisted because of these misconceptions that the HPV vaccine is targeting the nine-year-old girls who are adolescents, and that it means they will, they will not be able to bear children in future, and the government is doing that deliberately. So some parents were hesitant. They didn't want to accept to have their girls vaccinated. So that somehow affected us, but, or, you know, but at least the good thing is that uh, the district teams were able to use the risk communication and you go out to those communities, go out to those schools and meet the parents and engage them on a one-on-one. -on -one. And the, the other challenge we had was the teacher sitting, which affected the vaccination, especially in the second round. This happened like a week before we started the vaccinations. So 
most of the schools couldn't allow even the health surveillance assistance to go there and vaccinate the children. And in some schools, the children were not even coming to the schools. So the coverage was so low, although we tried to extend, but it didn't work out. And later on, even coupled with the COVID-19 pandemic, when the president had declared the closure of all the schools, that really affected us because that's also the time we wanted to conduct the mop-up after the teachers sit in. And also the issue of non-payment of allowances for some vaccinators and teachers has really affected the routinization strategy because there were those areas accumulating from 2019, 2020, now coming to 2021, most of those uh, health workers and teachers didn't accept to continue with the HPV vaccination until they get their outstanding allowances. Yeah, those are the key challenges which we had during the HPV implementation. Thanks, Hinda, for, for outlining all of that. Sounds, um, you know, complicated and challenging, um, but that, um, you know, still to this point, girls are getting vaccinated. So the program is moving forward. And I appreciate you laying out um, the changes in the approach and the different challenges that the ministry has, has faced. And, 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 but just also want to highlight for our audience that despite all of that, there are girls who are, who have been getting vaccinated. So it's a great work by, by the EPI and, um, you know, there's congratulations abound despite all of that. And of course, you know, over the past year and, and almost in a half um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so with that being said, I wanted to, and all the complications sort of related to that, I'm wondering if, you know, we talked earlier about lessons that we learned from previous new vaccine introductions that could be applied to HPV. So I'm wondering if there are experiences with the HPV vaccine introduction program that we think can be applied to other programs like school-based services or other vaccines that are outside of the traditional schedule for infants um, under the age of two. So how do you think the experiences of HPV can be applied to some of these things? You see, I think the first thing that we are talking about here in the misconception of, uh, in the community where people, they are saying HPV can be, I think, a way of giving the girls contraceptives. So what it means is, I think there is a need for capacity building to both health workers and even, I think, the community volunteers on the ground. Because normally when the community, they have some questions, they want to be addressed, they may find, I think, the volunteers in the communities, they want, to, they want a clarity to a certain point. So if we equip them by giving the required training, they'll be able to respond positively. And by the end of the day, the community will be able to make a decision that now they take their, their, their children to be vaccinated. I think that's one, one thing. Second thing, I think the issue of demand creation. It is supposed also to be done ex extensively. That is, I think, prior to the introduction of every vaccine. Normally, people, they have issues when introducing the new vaccines. Now, you can only address that when you have done enough of demand creation. People, they should know the information about the vaccine that is being introduced. Even now, as we are talking about COVID, people, they have issues. 
But when you clarify to uh, those issues, they are able to understand and they are willing to take the vaccination. So I think those are the lessons that we may be able to, to use when we are introducing another vaccine. Thanks, Patrick. Um, yeah, this is really great. And I think it's um, really interesting and a great opportunity too for countries that have introduced the HPV vaccine to to share some of these lessons, particularly in light of uh, things like COVID-19 vaccination. Obviously, the populations currently for vaccination are different, but thinking about different people um, to building capacity of different people to engage around community in community engagement, to, to discuss things with the community, to address any misconceptions that they have, to support demand creation, um, consider sustainability. All of these things that you're learning with HPV have um, a lot to contribute to other, other life course vaccinations. So thanks so much for sharing. Um, and speaking of COVID-19, we've been alluding to it a little bit here and there throughout the podcast, but I was wondering if you both would be able to speak to um, you know, Malawi's experience in introducing this vaccine at the same time, uh, introducing the HPV vaccine, um, and whether or not more specifically you have ideas about how what you've learned from HPV vaccine introduction can be applied to COVID-19 vaccine introduction. I alluded to some just now, but wondering what you think about that. Yeah, all right. Indeed, as a country, we need to make use of the lessons learned from HPV vaccine introduction to COVID-19 um, COVID vaccination, as they are kind of similar because the target that we are targeting is beyond the infant. So there are a couple of issues which are also applicable to COVID-19 vaccination. I was looking at the issues of uh, mapping, meaning identification of target populations. Um, in COVID-19, we have a specific target group. Uh, so we need to map out the people that are, that are falling within the, those agreed priority target groups. As such, mapping exercise could also be important so that they can have set targets at the local levels. Every health facility, if they could do their own mapping and get to know the numbers of people, say like how many elderly people they have from 60 and above, how many people have the comorbidities, how many health workers and other social workers that they have within their area. That way they'll be able to plan properly because they will have actual figures on the ground that can help them even to develop the micro plans. So the micro planning process would go very well with the mapping because now they'll be able to to identify the, to quantify the resources which they need for them to able to reach out to all the targeted groups within their area. And also issues of funding, just as it was with HPV. We struggled, we delayed with implementation of activities because we didn't have funding early and not even adequate. So that's a lesson to COVID vaccine introduction that we need to have adequate funding, adequate resources, so that we are able to, to implement all the preparatory activities properly in a good quality manner and be able to deliver the vaccines to the, to the target groups. 
and also timely communication and sensitization of the masses. We saw this in, in HPV. We had all those misconceptions about reproductive issues, just as we are having them with COVID. So timely community sensitization is very key, as well as community engagement activities so that uh, people get to understand about the vaccine and uh, create demand create demand for the, for the vaccine. And uh, the issue of training of health workers, it's also as critical in COVID, just as it was with HPV. The health workers are the people who go, whom we expect to go out and uh, mobilize the masses and provide the actual vaccine. So timely training of these people is very, very critical because without them, if they're not knowledgeable, they would not be able to promote the vaccine to the communities. And also the issue of availability of vaccines, just as it was in, the, in HPV that in Malawi we're not able to do the mag because of a uh, uh, global shortage of the vaccine. If with HPV, it's also a lesson which is relevant we need to know if we are to have adequate vaccines for all the target groups that we, which we are prioritizing in the country. And also the actual identification of the targeted population itself. We need to have um, basic reasons, concrete reasons as to how and why we are choosing those target populations for the COVID and even the identification process itself is very critical. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, this is really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm hopeful that just generally speaking that we can continue to share these lessons and this body, this body of lessons that um, we've been learning from HPV to further um, refine and use for, for COVID-19 vaccination and, and others in the future. So thanks for laying out those key sort of points that are really useful um, and where lessons can be drawn from. So um, the other question I have for you, I have just a couple left. This is such a great conversation. I'm wondering if now, you know, the, the country, Malawi introduced the HPV vaccine in 2019. So looking back on the time when the country was preparing for the introduction, is there anything that has surprised you now that the country is a couple of years into implementation um, and linked to this, what do you wish you knew before the introduction took place that you know now? Yeah, that's an exciting question, Katie. Um, actually, we didn't know that the change in strategy from campaign to routine would be a faster with, with our district immunization teams. As indicated earlier on, we had started with the campaign mode, which was done in two years, 2019 and 2020. Now in 2021, that's when we are routinizing. We had challenges with our district colleagues to, to get that on board. So had we known that we'll have this resistance, we would have emphasized earlier on when we were starting, like in 2019, as we were doing the preparation, preparatory activities in 2018, would have emphasized this point that uh, take note that the campaign is just for the initial year or years. 
And later on, it will go into the routine system. It will not be a campaign anymore. But because we didn't emphasize that much at the beginning, our district colleagues thought HPV will be delivered on a campaign mode through and through. So it was very difficult to, to communicate to them in 2021 that no, we are now going the routine way. And uh, coupled with uh, the inadequacy of funding, which I talked about earlier on, that we're not able to meet with them formally, like in a workshop to explain about this strategy change and how things should be done in the routine, more in the routine strategy that really created problems. Although by and by with supervisory visits, with uh, further communication through letters, things have really changed now, but we wish we had known earlier on that it will not be that easy to transition. And uh, the second issue is that uh, this, uh, we are being disturbed every time the schools close. And yet historically in the country, we know that uh, there are always, uh, teachers are always striking. And uh, during that time, schools do close. And of late with the COVID vaccine, COVID pandemic, which is leading to closure of schools. So wish we had known, we had, wish we had put in place a robust plan uh, in place already that when the schools close, HPV vaccination should not be disturbed. It should continue. Because we know once the school has closed with a mixed strategy, we can able to go to, we can able to use the health facilities, meaning the static clinics and even outreach immunization clinics. Because much as we have this, as we are calling it a mixed strategy, but in reality, we rely much on the schools because that's where most of the nine-year-old girls are. In Malawi, we have very few nine-year-olds who are out of school. So our main platform is the school. So once the school is closed, our colleagues in health facilities couldn't think immediately to start using the, the health facilities as the main platform. As such, they just stopped. They left it waiting until the time when the strike will be over, or like in the case of the COVID-19 pandemic, waiting for the time when the government will open the schools. So that has really affected the HPV vaccination. So I wish we had known earlier on and start emphasizing this earlier on so that by that way we wouldn't have had the problems which we've faced now. Anna, can I ask a follow-up question? Sure, Katie. Bye. <laughs> so mm. I, I was thinking about what you said, and I think I'm kind of going to ask you the same question, but in a different way. Um, wondering <laughs> if you could give like a piece of advice, and Patrick, I'd love to hear from you as well, but if you could give a piece of advice to other countries that are planning their HPV vaccine introduction, um, what, like, what would you tell them to make sure that they definitely consider or think about um, as they're going through that preparation process? Mm -hmm. First, I would say on the strategy, they need to be concise to know which strategies will be used over the years. Don't just look at the introduction year. They need to focus on how the strategy will be done and how they'll be changing it. And as that way, as they're orienting their health workers and teachers, that should be communicated. And through and through, as they're implementing the intro, in the introduction year, 
they should be looking at the following years where should they should they will go into routine and be prepared. They start putting in place measures for the routine, even in the introductory year. Um, thanks, Kenneth. Patrick, do you have any any one thing that you would highlight for other countries planning their introduction? Yeah, possibly one. Um, you know, HPV, I think it depends much, I think, on the involvement of the teachers. But now one advises they should not depend much on the uh, education sector because they are just there to assist the uh, health sector. Because the moment they depend much on, uh, on the teachers, by the end of the day, they may find a lot of challenges. For example, the strike that we have talked about, the sit in. Yeah, so the moment they think they, they, they happy, I think by the end of the day, the program can be, can, can be frustrated. So that's what I wanted to add. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah, that's some great advice. And as you know, there's many countries that are gonna be introducing soon. Um, so I am sure that this will be, be helpful. Um, I have one final question for you both before we part. Um, and the question is more of a personal one. And I'm wondering um, how, let's see, how people have reacted to the introduction of HPV, what you've seen, but also um, how your life has been affected by supporting the EPI in this work. Uh, thank you, Kate. Now, in terms of uh, the people's reaction to HPV, we can say it is mixed because people they accepted, but there are some people who are reluctant to accept for the first time. But by the end of the day, a majority they accepted because we managed to have a coverage of more than 80%. And that's a recommendable for the special group of the nine-year-old girls. So to us, we can say in Malawi, the program has been success in terms of the introduction. Yeah, but also personally, if you look into Malawi in terms of the cervical cancer body, I think it's one of the, the problems that, that is hurting the, the Malawi country. So I personally, I'm very much excited to be among those people who are dedicated to eliminate this cervical cancer in Malawi. So I'm very much happy in terms of, I think, how I've been affected. But just like what Hannah has explained at first, Sometimes when you go for supervision, you go to a certain district, you find people, they don't want to listen to you. The, the issues of routinization, people they are used to doing the campaigns. So sometimes as a person who would like to see the immediate change, you are frustrated to see people being reluctant to the delivery strategy that you feel like I think can be sustainable. So those, those are the points that probably I may raise. Thank you. Yeah, Katie, for me, as Patrick has already said, it's really good that the, the populations have accepted the HPV vaccine in the country. And personally, I'm happy that at last Malawi has introduced a vaccine to prevent the, this disease that has claimed a lot of lives for women in the country, and including my own aunt, um, who died of... Uh, survival cancer may have rest in eternal peace. And I'm so excited to be part of this great team that has worked hard to make it successful. That finally we've even routinized 
the HPV in the country. Thanks so much, uh, Hannah and Patrick, for sharing those experiences. Um, yeah, it's quite something to be able to help introduce a vaccine we know is going to protect girls from having cervical cancer further down um, the line in their lives. So I think, you know, I commend both of you for the support that you are providing to the EPI and for and to the EPI of Malawi as well um, for introducing this vaccine. I'm sure things will continue to change and grow over time. And I look forward to seeing how the program progresses. So thanks so much for sharing your experiences um, with us and for giving us uh, a taste of what it's like to try and introduce a new vaccine like the HPV vaccine. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, Kit. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to JSI for having contributed greatly to this noble task of saving lives of Malawian women. Thank you for listening to Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast.